Welcome to Coffee Break with Sharp Best Health. Every week, we sip on a strong new blend of practical tips, information, and education to help you optimize your health, body, and mind. Your hosts are Janice, Emily, Megan, and Olga. Your break starts now. Welcome to another episode of Coffee Break with Sharp Best Health. Your hosts today are Olga Hayes and Megan Sperling. The rising prevalence of chronic disease in healthcare costs associated with them has many doctors turning to food as a form of medicine they prescribe their patients. On today's episode, we sit down with the two of Sharp's physicians to talk about culinary medicine, learn what it is, and how we can use it to restore and maintain health. Let's get started. Today, we are so excited to have two of Sharp's physicians uh, to our show, Dr. Sabrina Falquier and Dr. Angie Neeson. Hello, doctors. How are you today? Hi, good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to have you and uh, so excited to talk about culinary medicine specifically. Uh, We know how busy the two of you are, and we're really, really grateful to have you join us today. Um, and I think that the first thing we should do, Olga, is give them sort of a proper introduction. What do you I say? I think they deserve that. <laughs> I think for so sure. <laughs> um, I wanted to do, just say a few words about Dr. Angie Neeson first, if that's okay. Or Dr. Neeson, it's a little bit funny to always talk about someone right in front of them, so I hope you don't mind. But I, I wanted to share just a couple of facts about you. Dr. Angelica Neeson is a board-certified family physician and currently enrolled at Tulane's Goldring Center for Culinary Medicine. She has extensive knowledge in nutrition and preventative medicine. Her philosophy is to treat the whole person with mind, body, and spirit in mind. And she's been a part of the Sharpie Steely physician team since, what, 2011? Yes, 2011. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for being here. Thank you, Megan. So I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Sabrina Falquier. Dr. Sabrina Falquier was born and raised in Mexico City, and she moved to the United States at the age of 11. So her first language is actually Spanish. So she did her medical training at New York Medical College, followed by an internal medicine residency at UCSD, then did a one-year women's health fellowship. Since 2005, she has been working in outpatient primary care at Sharp Reese Steely. So over, what, 15? Almost 15 years. 15 years. Amazing, yes. (laughs) She is currently working on her culinary medicine certification through Tulane University. And her philosophy is to link food and medicine by empowering people to cook their own nutritious, plant-forward, scrumptious sensations. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. (laughs) So let's talk about culinary medicine, right? So that term has been in the media quite recently. So at least I have seen it quite a lot. How would you define culinary medicine? What is that? Great question. So I tell my patients, it is really the art of cooking blended with the science of medicine to restore and optimize your health. So I also say it's, it's blending my passion for food with my knowledge of medicine to optimize their wellness journey, starting with their next meal. Thank you so much, Dr. Neeson. That kind of, that makes sense in terms of like an official definition, right? Yes. Of, what about, what about you, Dr. Falke? How would you define culinary medicine? 
So I would second what Dr. Neeson said, and it really is for me empowering people to to realize they have a lot of control over their health, choosing even with their mm-hmm. next what they choose to drink or what they choose to eat. And I, I think that too, what's interesting is what I'm hearing from both of you is uh, that uh, culinary medicine. What it doesn't mean is eating bland, uh, boring food. It's about blending. Mm-hmm. You said something about you know your passion for food or yes. passion for cooking and. There's a relationship yeah. that can be found between being healthy and enjoying and appreciating yeah. the food that you're consuming. So yes. I yeah. think there's a lot a lot of value mm-hmm. and wisdom there. I would say Dr. Falkier and I are both foodies, <laughs> um, but so we like to blend in the flavors mm-hmm. that we have with the healthy aspects of certain food to get the highest quality nutrition you can out of food. Yeah, perfect. And that makes sense. Yeah, and to second that, I feel like there's this misnomer that if you're eating healthy, it's it means boil, bland, broiled, or boil broccoli. Very, yeah, and it yeah. really it doesn't have to be that. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key is to really give people small, simple tools that they mm-hmm. can use to make the food taste so delicious that it's almost secondary that it's healthy. So it's not mm-hmm. one or the other. Mm-hmm. It really is absolutely delicious food, and it's really nurturing your health and your body. That makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, and I actually kind of, I wanted to actually ask you, Dr. Falkier, uh, um, about uh, why you think culinary medicine is has been gaining traction, become more at the forefront, gaining popularity, if you'll forget the expression. Um, I actually kind of wonder, as you were speaking just now, if, if the fact that people are understanding that relationship between it, Good food or healthy food and good nutrition and understanding that those things don't have to be exclusive. If that's part of what's making it more popular, more widely accepted, could you speak a little bit about the the sort of popularity it's beginning? Yeah, absolutely, Megan. So what's interesting is that I feel in medicine, in allopathic medicine, which was what we practice at Sharpery Steely, there's really been the separation. It's almost that food was on one side and health and illness mm. were on the other. Mm. And the, the two have really started coming together over the last several years and more and more awareness that just like food, just like in medicine, we learn in medical school about the side effects of medications all the time when we're training and this awareness that we need to be aware and need to teach our patients the side effects of eating food or food like Mm -hmm. substances. And uh, the other piece too, is that we've come to a point where we plateaued as far as the health benefits that can come from medical interventions. And we're almost Mm -hmm. going back to the beginning of realizing like Hippocrates said of let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food of really going back and realizing the true nutritional components and health not just getting to health, but actually improving your health through food choices. Yeah, outstanding. That yeah, makes really good sense. I also think that physicians, you know, we realize we can't solve all of our diseases, but we also can't just treat symptoms. We have to treat the patient, and so using just a prescription without telling them about lifestyle changes is like putting a band aid mm-hmm. on a problem that's much bigger. And so, really taking that time to empower a patient to change their lifestyle habits, you know, with us, beginning with food, beginning with their next meal is really a way to help them on their journey, but not just them, but also their families and their kids. And that's what I really focus on because it's not just one generation that you're going to help. You're going to help multiple generations thereafter. Absolutely. And we all know, oh, sorry, go ahead, Olga. Oh, no, I just wanted to say that patients trust their physicians. And if Anyone should teach them about that connection between food and health. That would be their doctor. 
because that can be translated for generations to come. Yeah. yeah, and there's actually a lot of studies that show that that patients are expecting guidance, mm-hmm. and if patient if physicians are not asking the patients mm-hmm. about what they're eating, what they're drinking. And that drinking, we often think of how much alcohol mm-hmm. do you drink, but also what are you drinking throughout the yeah. day? Is it right. soda? Is it yeah. frappuccinos at 3 yeah. p.m.? And and the effect that that has, we're, there is really a lost opportunity. Absolutely. And we, again, in our corner of the world, in the employee wellness, sometimes we're just so struck by the fact that people are not aware of what seems like common sense to us. For example, how much sugar is in the soda or how, ba- how bad the French fries are. So somebody has to explain and educate employees and patients about those opportunities, lost opportunities. So just to, to piggyback with that, too, there's also the sense of we all know we need to, quote unquote, eat healthy, but we're not often told how huh, to do huh, that. Absolutely. Right? So you leave there and say, OK, I either eat mm-hmm. bland boiled broccoli or salads yeah. every day that don't taste like much or I eat my french fries. And that's the part of meeting them where they're at and figuring out, okay, where's that person's starting point? Perfect. So I am just curious, how did you get into that field? I mean, we are are obviously very impressed that you are doing this, yes. Mm -hmm. And we would just wanna know, just how did you get into that area? of expertise. I'll start with Dr. Neeson. So I guess, I guess I was always born with food as medicine. My mom and my grandmother, born in a Mexican household, it's very common to treat ailments um, or your symptoms of how you're feeling with a tea or an herbal tea or some food. Um, no, <laughs> no, actually, no. With um, with my grandmother and my mom growing up in a um, in a farm, you know, your access to produce and and herbs were were plentiful, and and access to a doctor was actually much further um, available. And so um, I guess it's in my DNA. And my mom, um, her father was a diabetic, and she inc- she started learning about nutrition, and so she started incorporating it into our family. And so I grew up with you know whole wheat bread and mm-hmm. flax seeds, and I knew all these terms by the age of five. And so to me, I thought that it was normal that everybody else grew up this way. Mm-hmm. Until I left to college and I realized, wow, I, I, no one else grew up this way. Mm-hmm. And how can I, how can I help them? Because it seems very easy. And so because it came so easy to me, mm-hmm. I use those tools to teach patients simple little techniques and switches that they can do in their daily life that would make a huge difference. One being cooking at home, just the simple act of just cooking at home mm-hmm. or knowing an ingredient um, and knowing what to do with it or a vegetable will really make a huge difference. How to navigate a grocery store. And so those are the simple tools that I usually like to try mm-hmm. um, to incorporate in my office because I feel like those are the foundations of what a healthy family can be. Thank you. That was a wonderful description. It was great, great to yeah, kind of understand your background a little bit. The other thing I'd like to add is that, you know, throughout medical school, I was wondering, how can I prevent diseases? And mm-hmm. so, you know, I went to a I went to medical school at the world's largest medical center in Houston. And so everything was disease driven. And there was so many specialists and so many subspecialists. And I thought, well, where do I fit in? How can I impact as many patients as I can through preventative medicine? And so really, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to prevent as many diseases as I could that I was seeing while I was studying. Um, and so family medicine was just perfect because I could, you know, even from pregnancy, you can make so many dietary changes and improve that child's health throughout their throughout their life 
And so family medicine was a perfect tie into that. And most of the time I try to incorporate nutrition and I ask patients nutrition almost as a vital sign Mm -hmm. as how is your nutrition? How much, how many vegetables do you Mm -hmm. intake per day? Do people question, I'm curious, do your patients ever question why you ask those questions? I think they smile and they kind of look at me like, <laughs> no, one, no one has ever asked me that. Yeah. And then they smile and they always say, you know, I could do better. And I said, well, let's talk about what can you do better. And so usually they walk away and I say, can, can we work on three things maybe over the next month? So small changes because... When they see me the next time, I'll be able to show them these are the things that you've already done for your health. And they usually improve on either their BMI, their weight, just even how they're feeling, sometimes their cholesterol profile, their sugar, many factors. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. This is really great to understand. What about you, Dr. Falkier? So for me, the the road of culinary medicine, really, I'd love to cook and I love food. So I did grow up in Mexico City and my grandma... Or, my grandmother and my grandparents are actually Swiss. So I would spend summers in Switzerland and I would go with my grandmother every day to get the food for that very day. So we would talk to the vegetable the farmer and we would talk to the fishmonger. And, and it really, from there was this, this way of looking at food at, at its most simple form mm-hmm. and bringing it home and creating these meals that were really simple, but really based on waking up your senses, mm-hmm. getting to know all parts of the food. And it's almost that these two parts were happened in my childhood. And after residency, I started cooking a lot more and loved cooking. And that was my passion. Mm-hmm. Yet to me, they were really separate. And I would ask patients about what they enjoy eating otherwise. But it really wasn't until I went to a conference uh, that's run by the Harvard School of Public Health and the mm-hmm. Culinary Institute of America. When the, the keynote speaker started talking, I actually started crying. And never in a medical oh. conference have I actually oh. been moved to tears. And I realized that my passion and my career could actually start coming together. And I left that conference and really started looking up teaching kitchens in San Diego. And that's where really things started moving mm-hmm. forward. And never did I think that things would be where they are today, which is really exciting. So That's incredible. <laughs> I have to add that we <laughs> met, I yeah. met Dr. Falkier at this conference and I had the same, that's really where our journey sort of started. Sharing tissues. Yes. When you, <laughs> when you realize that your, your passion is there and then you find someone else that has that shared passion, so you can move mountains. And we have, over the last year, have done so much to collaborate on on something that we're both truly passionate about. And so I think this conference moved both of us into a way to where we where we are now. And yeah, it, and it was. And it really was be. amazing, yes, because <laughs> when I went four years ago, I, I kept looking at it but couldn't figure out how they could come together, and things were slowly moving, and it's true. When Dr. Neeson came to the conference a couple years later, and we literally didn't, we met in the back of the room and found out we worked in the same group oh, and yeah. um, and really started having these conversations, and, and it's been, it's synergistic is really the best way to explain it. It's like you put two people together and things explode in a fantastic way. That's outstanding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I was curious curious about what kind of formal training or extra training that the two of you have pursued in order to learn more about culinary medicine and learn more about how uh, the community of San Diego and your patient population could um, take advantage of this opportunity. 
And so I, I assume that, that the, this training was one of the trainings. Are there, has there been additional work that you guys have looked into for further certification or just research? Yes. Uh, so it, it's been really interesting. So when I first came back four years ago from that conference, it really felt it was, it really is so at its beginnings. And that's actually one of the things that's so exciting about it is to be something that in some ways feels so basic of food, yet it's been lost in our mm-hmm. culture of just that mm-hmm. idea of cooking at home and the importance of vegetables and fruits and moving away from our fast food nation mm-hmm. that we live in. And and it really, again, I, I started seeking out um, teaching kitchens and learning from places like Olivewood Gardens and Learning Center in National City was really paramount for me to start mm-hmm. seeing how, how does that play out? How do you connect how the food grows and how do you then take that into the kitchen and teach kids and adults? And then um, that conference I've been going to yearly. We've been to a plant-based conference, Dr. Nisa and myself. And most recently in January, both started the Tulane Medicine has actually a culinary medicine certification. And that's also Mm -hmm. been around only about four or five years. And that's, that's a two year process and we're a quarter into it. So So you're both (laughs) taking the, what's great is that we can both sort of talk about studies and really it's all about the evidence, right? In Mm -hmm. science, it's about how, you hear certain fads, you hear certain things in the media, mm-hmm. and and then you have to really look at the evidence. And so we as physicians want to relay that information in a very easy way for patients to understand, but also for our colleagues to understand mm-hmm. where that, if there is science mm-hmm. and, and if it's real or not. That's just to add to that. That's actually one of the things I find so interesting is that when we think of who our audience is, since this is such a new specialty, is it the ultimate end user are our patients, yet there's a lot of educating that takes place for our colleagues and our oh, institution. Sure, right? and, sure. and as we prepare and move in different directions, it's been fascinating to see when we prepare a talk or a cooking demonstration or hands-on cooking class, who our audience is and how that changes what information mm-hmm. you move forward and, and the questions that come and um, really, really basing yeah. it on evidence-based. So it's not like, oh, food's fun and we're foodies and we like food and you should too. Right. It's yeah. really looking at what mm-hmm. effect does this have on yeah. your health? And I think that's probably kind of the difference between culinary medicine and other areas like alternative medicine that are floating out there because you're using evidence-based approach to food and how you can use it to treat certain conditions. Right. With yes, our yeah. with our experience as physicians, you know, being 10 years in and, and 15 years in, you know, you see all these these illnesses and you come to a point where you say, okay, how can I go back to the beginning? How can I prevent from the very beginning and really it's quite simple but it's you you have to translate it to patients mm-hmm. or to physicians in in different terms yeah and i i just had a quick question like a follow-up question to megan's question about your training do you know if because you you have been out of medical school for a while now do you know if anything is being done to incorporate culinary medicine into the in, into medical schools as part of the curriculum? Oh, absolutely! Or like an elective course? <laughs> yeah. Or so, yeah. I'm actually really proud to say that my medical school at UT Houston has a culinary medicine elective that I would have loved to oh, have. Wow. Amazing! And yes. I've met the uh, chef, who's also a registered dietitian, and he has been helping us along with our work and very um, supportive of the work mm-hmm. that Dr. Falquier and I are doing. And so, um, yes, so now medical students are getting some training that that will translate into Mm -hmm. patient care. Um, Some of the things that we're doing here, and Dr. Falke has given some 
presentations and lectures to some physicians. My teaching has been through food. Mm -hmm. And so just last night, we served a beautiful menu that's a plant-forward menu to our physician meeting group. And so through that, I hope to teach people how you can cook something that doesn't have to be completely animal-based and it can be very flavorful and delicious. um, Thank you for asking that. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it just tells you, it shows how important it is becoming and that the medical schools are taking note and they're offering this education. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, there are actually over 30 medical schools now in the country that have it. And for some schools, it's an elective. And for Mm -hmm. other schools, it's part of their curriculum. And it's not just a lecture. It's really getting into Mm -hmm. a teaching kitchen, Mm -hmm. having a knife in your Mm -hmm. hand, and really the hands-on. Because that's been shown is... We can watch TV and see people cook, but unless you get in there and have a knife in your hand and learn the awkwardness and following a recipe or learning <laughs> yep. the comfort of putting spices and playing with food, it, it, that's when the true learning takes place. Wonderful. So we're, uh, we're having a couple of other questions, if you don't mind. You kind of spoke to that a little bit, both of you did, but if you could just give us a little more specifics about how you incorporate culinary medicine into your personal, into your medical practice. That's a great question. So to just to add to what Dr. Falkier is saying, you can watch a game, but watching a game doesn't make you a basketball player or a player. So really trying to, you know, use the tools. So Dr. Falkier and I have a project that we are planning on launching this fall. We have some research that still has to be worked out, but we plan to teach our patients in our offices how to cook but also explaining and empowering um, and educating on the why. The why the food is important, the why, um, how we can help certain diseases. And so we're going to be doing this shared medical appointment. And so it's going to be an appointment that's extended. And so average time will be somewhere between 90 to 120 minutes with our patients. And we will be going through, you know, just some brief lecture on, on how the disease process starts and how nutrition can play a big role in that. And then we're, we're going to cook. That's okay. great. Yeah, and this is our first one will be a pilot. And mm-hmm. essentially, we are currently working through the IRB process gotcha. and uh, really excited to launch into research, which is something new for Dr. Neeson and yes. myself. And the other part that I realize we haven't touched base on, which is so important, is mindfulness around food. Yes. So it's not just literally what's in front of you, but even statistics that if we eat with a television or a device in front of us, we tend to eat 30% more than if we're actually engaged in the meal. Really? So instead of separating, okay, mm-hmm. I have to make food, so you guys go in the other room and I'll deal with the food making, of incorporating that into a part of the day-to-day. So bringing the kids into the household, as soon as they can hold something, can they cut something, you know, herbs with scissors, can they use age-appropriate um tools in the kitchen and to start incorporating tell me about your day why don't you wash this lettuce while we do this so it's not food preparation and life and taking place in separate rooms Mm -hmm. it's really starting to incorporate the two and and that's the piece that's a huge part of this is the mindfulness not just the preparing of food but also why and when we reach for food Mm -hmm. food is used in so many different ways to deal with emotions to push away emotions Mm -hmm. or certain people in our lives and to really start having that awareness without judgment around food of how can we separate how can we make food a joyous event that we are truly engaging in instead of seeing food as the enemy and you know that's really that's point very well taken. I, we hear a lot, again, in employee wellness around uh, mindful eating, 
not always as eloquently stated as you just did. Um, but I, I think that it uh, speaks to one of the questions that I, I had was, which was whether or not there are sort of core tenets or sort of key principles around uh, culinary medicine. I was thinking of, as you were speaking, I was thinking this feels like a key like a, like a principle, like a like, like one, yeah. yeah, a pillar, um, to use a sharp a sharp phrase. Um, and so I, I, I guess uh, maybe I'll direct this question to you, Dr. Neeson. Are there kind of key principles of culinary medicine just for people to wrap their heads around this this um, well articulated, but I think still very big uh, big big concept for people? Culinary medicine is really empowering people to understand the why again um, and be able to cook in a way that decreases, improves, and at times reverses mm-hmm. chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we focus on food, just really food, not picking apart carbs and fats and proteins and, you know, really is just food and how beautiful it can mm-hmm. be if it's simple, if we just use less processed and use and make it make it ourselves and, and being aware of what goes into to eating and what goes into cooking. Perfect. Yeah, but no, that that makes that makes all kinds of sense, and I think too, there's a, I, I could see how this would be really meaningful to a lot of people who have a, um, diet fatigue, who have information fatigue, who have just sort of become per- paralyzed in terms mm-hmm. of okay, one one year eggs are bad for me, the next year eggs are good for me. Low fat's yeah. bad for me. Low fat's good for me. I don't. I. It, it is really easy. You know. Um, it is really easy to understand why people have a, a challenging time navigating mm-hmm. food when it should be. It feels like it should be simple. Absolutely. But I feel like we need to get away from certain ingredients are bad. Yes. What I tell patients is there's not there's not a good list of food and there's not a bad list of food. It is really just mm-hmm. a trajectory of how you use those tools. So do you eat a lot of, you know, not so good nutritious food in your lifetime, but there's really no limitations on certain foods. It's just really how the pattern of eating that you have through your lifetime. And that might empower more people to have greater success when they take a culinary medicine approach or they learn more about the principles that, you know, you are trying to educate the community and your patient population on so that they are able to navigate the grocery store, the restaurant, yeah. uh, their own kitchen cupboards uh, yeah. with uh, mm-hmm. um, that in mind. So Over the last 15 years, they've mm-hmm. done studies on all the sorts of diets and they've taken four different diets. And what they've learned is that there is no change. Everyone loses weight if mm-hmm. you stick to that diet. Mm-hmm. But at the end, is it sustainable? Is it something that you can do for a long period mm-hmm. of time? And that is the kicker. And I think that people um, lose sort of steam when they are doing it for so long and it doesn't fit into their whole lifestyle. And so I'm really not a fan of diets. Sure. And so I would like to say that um, it's really, again, just a pattern of eating. Mm-hmm. And and to go along with that, it's interesting because there is, there's weight loss with all the diets, but it's also, what is our goal? Is our goal to look great in our child's wedding that's coming up in three months? Or is our goal to have long-term health benefits? Right. And, and when I always talk to my patients about really trying to stick 80% of the time, try to eat as kind of clean as possible. And again, with the empowerment of how to grocery shop, how to batch cook, how really how to make this sustainable with our crazy day-to-day lives. And then the other piece is to realize, I I tell patients all the time, there's not a food I'm going to tell you never to touch or never to eat, but it's to have that relationship Mm -hmm. to say, okay, this is an outlier. 
you know, wedding cake, birthday cake, going to have an ice cream cone and not to feel I cheated, not to feel I'm guilty Mm -hmm. to take those foods away around food, but to really make that core so beautifully strong that if once we go off here because we're on vacation and we go off to the left or the right to come back to that solid core and to know what that, what we feel like when we're at that solid place of eating. Absolutely. No, that makes, that makes wonderful sense. And I think that it's actually easier than people think sometimes to start eating healthier. I think Dr. Neeson mentioned earlier, it's just starting with small changes. And we, we're just grateful that we have physicians here at Sharp who teach our patients on how to start those healthy changes, how to start those steps in the right direction. So thank you so much for... I tell patients you have an opportunity for wellness every time you pick up that form. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be a chef. You don't, Mm -hmm. I think, I hope that's not what our listeners are getting. (laughs) You don't have to go to a culinary school and become a a (laughs) chef in cooking, but... The other piece that I want to emphasize is that there's also the sense that eating healthy is expensive. And that's Mm, another part that we focus on in culinary medicine is that it doesn't. And there's ways to do that. And that's part of culinary medicine is teaching people, again, where they're at. And that could be with their busy lifestyle. That could be Mm. with their finances. That could be with how how many people in the household they have to feed. And to teach ways of where to shop for food that will be less expensive. Buying in bulk and sharing a grain with your friends or colleagues and finding ways to decrease costs. And and there are groups like SDSU is working in food deserts, like in South Bay, mm-hmm. to have liquor stores have shelves of vegetables and fruits that, that are available and really empowering people to know where to get them, to know what resources there are. Mm-hmm. And as a simple resource, if anyone listening out there needs it, if there, if there is food availability issues in any way, shape, or form for yourself or your family, dialing 211 can get you resources throughout San Diego. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning 211 specifically because I, I, they are such a wonderful resource mm-hmm. to San Diego. And yeah, it's it's always never a bad time to remind people of, of their services and resources. So speaking about 211 and their virtue, it seems like a wonderful time to um, kind of wrap the conversation by inviting you guys to share with the people who are listening how they can learn more about culinary medicine or about what work you're doing. Um, is, there, is there any kind of um, uh, sites or information that we, that we could um, offer up right now to people to learn more? Thank you, Megan. So yes, one of the ways that I like to share on a day-to-day is actually through social media. Mm. Uh, my social mm. media account on Instagram and Facebook is SensationsMD. And that, again, is going to the whole idea of waking up your senses, not only around food, but about life in general, about being fully present. So again, SensationsMD. And this is Dr. Neeson. Um, I also have a social media presence. And I, I started it really because of this this journey. I was getting a lot of patients asking me about food. And I said, what? I can't, I don't really have a lot of time in like 20 minutes. And so I created this social media platform just to be able to be an extension outside of the office exam room and what I can say. And really, I, I named it Flavors, the number four, wellness, because I feel like there's a lot of flavors for wellness, not just with food, but also mindfulness, um, connection, sleep is important, exercise is important. Um, and also what I really think is important about my platform is that I, I use my kids a lot. My kids are, <laughs> I have a two and a six year old. And okay. so you'll see them a lot in the kitchen. And, you know, I have a busy life too. And so I try to really make quick, delicious, easy food for my kids and for families. Wonderful. Setting a great example. So, yes, thank you so much for sharing those 
accounts, we'll make sure to post all this information on our show notes. And I also wanted to add that our own sharp.com website has a lot of wonderful resources for anyone who's interested in learning how to eat healthier, to attend a couple of uh, workshops or classes. So sharp.com slash wellness. And let's not forget about Sharp Best Health. Megan no. is looking at me. <laughs> My boss is looking at me. Don't forget to do shameless plugging. Well, we have wonderful resources we too that, um, you know, support just a, that I that strive to support, I should say, just what um, these positions are, are kind of speaking Absolutely. to. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's not forget about them. Let's not forget about <laughs> any last words of wisdom. I would say that my biggest recommendation is to realize that you have, you can be empowered, you can make better choices. And if you go off course and have the fries, don't feel bad about it. Come back to it. And we are I, really here to support you. And I feel like that's one of the ways that social media can do it on a regular basis. And remembering in the good parts of social media, having that positive empowerment and to be kind to ourselves and just Go meal, go meal, meal by meal. <laughs> meal by meal. What about you, Dr. Neeson? And I would say that, um, you know, what, what's for, for families and for kids, realize that you are, you are setting the example and kids are watching. And so if you want your kids to be healthy, you should, you should change a little bit about how you eat and, and they will, they will follow. That's wonderful. The modeling. Back to role modeling. Mm-hmm. That is a wonderful, those are wonderful, wonderful thoughts to end the conversation on, I think. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation overall. I really yes. appreciate your time. I know Olga does too. Dr. Spalkier and Neeson, thank you so much for being here today. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Yes, thank you we'd so much love to come back. back. Oh, we will invite you back. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you everyone so much again for listening to today's episode. If you would like to learn more about culinary medicine, if there was something in today's conversation that really sparked a lot of interest for you, we would love to hear from you and we would love to follow up on those questions and comments that you might have and maybe explore further in future episodes. And if you would like to share that information with us, our email is sharpbesthealth at sharp.com. Again, send any questions or comments about today's episodes to sharpbesthealth at sharp.com. Thanks so much and have a good one. Download this episode and find more great information on health and wellness by visiting Sharp Best Health on Sharp Network.